Hey folks, Stephen Altrogi here. I'm here with my friend Dave Harvey. Uh, if you don't know Dave, Dave is the executive director of the Sojourn Church Planning Network. He is also, he's been in pastoral ministry for 30 years, so he has a wealth of experience on in that front. He also is a board member for the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And we're here to talk today about Dave's book, which Zondervan just recently released. It's called Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls, which is a very intriguing title. Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls, recently released by Zondervan. And Dave, you know, that it, it's an interesting title that immediately begs the question, okay, who's this book for? Who, you know... Who are the wayward souls? Who's doing the letting go? What's this rugged love all about? It, it's a it's a fascinating title. Who's it for? Yeah, I think uh, people hear the word wayward and they think prodigal, or they hear prodigal, and everybody immediately applies it to to their kids, to teenagers, to you know, you got the prodigal son, um, and there there's plenty in the book for parents of prodigals, but the book is actually much broader in scope. Um, and one of the things that I've discovered in just in pastoring people, uh, in being friends with people, um, is, is how many people, and I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians, have a sibling, have a spouse, have some family member or dear friend who has just rejected their role and uh and and rejected the people that around them that love them and just kind of gone off and and then how that experience profoundly affects and shapes those who love them how it becomes a defining moment for a parent or a family member or a spouse and and pushes forward all of these questions all of these questions about identity and and what does this mean and where is god and what does this mean about god and so paul gilbert who is the co-author and i um wanted to get at the broader issue of of waywardness both theologically and then and then to think about how, how do we crawl into the mind of of, of a prodigal of, of a wayward person and and how can we help those that love them? Um, because there is just tremendous turmoil and there are, there's debris all over the place that it stirs up within the hearts of those who love them. There's, there's shame. There's incredible weariness. There is, uh, I call it the why bat, you know, where we take the bat out and we beat ourselves up with why is this happening? Why is God doing this? Why is this? What does this mean about me? What does this mean about us, about our family, about our leadership? You know, it's just this incessant problem and these incessant voices that come at us. And we wanted to help those people. And, you know, in, in looking for resources, there, there have been good resources written here and there. Some of them are very dated, Noth nothing more recent, but also something that would look at it, not just theologically, but but would bring a vision of a, of a biblical rugged love to it. So that's what we were aiming to do, and, and that's who the book is for. So as you're talking, I mean, I, I can't imagine that there's a, 
a Christian out there that would not benefit from this book, even as I think in my own life, I think about friends and family and church members. And it seems like this book could really serve people who are, frankly, they feel like they're in crisis mode because this thing pushes people first into crisis mode, then into exhaustion. And so it seems like this could be a tremendous resource for them. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to we have to begin by leveling the playing field and and recognizing that that we are all we all start wayward. You know, mm-hmm. we are born wayward. Um, it, the effect of of sin in the life of a human being moves us away from God, away from relationships, away from roles. Uh, so so waywardness is 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 in our blood. That's the story of Eden. That's the story of Israel. That's the story of the disciples of Jesus. Um, that's why you never have to teach a two-year-old to say no, because that waywardness is uh, is inherent. It's it's genetic. Um, but we weren't looking to just deal with that broader sense. We wanted to deal with it in the the narrow sense as well, and help to define, you know, what's really going on when somebody is is uh, is becoming wayward and mm-hmm. and helping folks to recognize that fundamentally there is a there is a rejection of of the right voices and there's a renouncing of their role mm. and so those two things are very much in play when uh, in, in the wayward soul in other words the right voices the the people that are in their life that love them that are connected to them those people begin to lose influence. They begin to lose credibility. They, they lose their place as the wayward begins to pursue foolishness. And so there's the losing of the, of the voices, but then there's also, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband. I have these different roles I fill. Well, there's a rejection of those roles and the responsibility that comes with Is this what you were getting roles. at? You know, you wrote, wayward is a story believed before a path trodden. Is that somewhat what you were getting at there? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that there is a very narrow sense where I think what's going on in the wayward soul is, is there are, uh, there's a rejection of certain fundamental things that come with the place that God has us. Again, this is whether you are a believer or a non-Christian, the same things come in, come into play. Um, but it, 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 it basically gives way to a pattern of, of, of personal irresponsibility, of uh, you know, a, a victim-centeredness mentality, uh, and uh, a decision making that is becoming more and more independent, more and more autonomous, um, manipulating behavior. And then ultimately, there can even be the threats of, of flight, you know, for a, from a marriage, from a home. And, and all of that becomes entrenched behavior that, that forms into this direction, this this wayward direction. Prodigality might be another way to, to think about it. But it's not just about a kid, you know? It's not mm-hmm. just about the prodigal son. It's about, it's about you know, it's about a sibling. It's about a, a spouse. It's about someone you love or somebody that you care deeply about 
who's just walking, walk. I mean, I was with a, a couple last night and, uh, and uh, they were, you know, they had an 18 year old daughter who was so, became so defiant that she just left home mm. for, for two months. Mm. Just completely dropped off the grid and, uh, you know, and, and began relating as if family was irrelevant. So her role as a daughter, her role as a student, her role as an employee, all of that she was rejecting. She just, she just left and, uh, and began to embrace this idea that what is vital to her existence is her autonomy. And, uh, and, you know, and that's where she began rejecting the voices, rejecting you know, those that care about her and, and their influence over her. So you know, I think the, the, the biblical category is, is the fool and uh, I, you know, I think we have to kind of uh, demystify that word a little bit because we're all fools in one sense, uh, in the broad sense. But in the narrow sense, there are these people that, you know, that, that have this repetitious defiance of, of God that deeply affects uh, the path that they, that they walk. And one of the things that happens when someone close begins to stray and become wayward is... We begin. We uh, it provokes a response in us. We we care about them, and it provokes a response. But so often, our response is unhealthy. It can be. We can begin engaging in these unhealthy patterns of relating to wayward people. You you begin to describe some of those in the book. Um, what are those unhealthy patterns that you've seen and that Paul has seen? And instead of engaging in those, how should we relate to those who are wayward? Yeah, important or, or centered, I should say, in the prodigal mentality, in the wayward mentality, is this idea that I want to make choices without living with the consequences of those choices. So it's, it's embedded in their belief system. So, so what I'm saying is that part of the character of, of foolishness is a is a distorted view of, of freedom. So you have a husband, let's say, who has, you know, he's, he's committed to drinking like a maniac with his drinking buddies, but he's married and he's got a family and he's just, but he's, he's basically saying, you know, he's, he's still in an adolescent phase in his mind. So this is, this is my right. Uh, in other words, he's saying, this is a freedom that I should be able to enjoy. And, uh, and his wife isn't dealing with it and uh, because she wants to protect the peace of the home, which is exactly what he wants. He wants to protect this pattern of behavior that ultimately begins to have consequences in the marriage, consequences as a father, consequences financially. But what often happens is, uh, you know, just to extend this an analogy or this illustration, is the wife might begin to try to buffer the consequences mm -hmm. so that he is not experiencing the the reality of them and when really you know he's trying to that's basically what he wants is he wants to live without those consequences he wants the ability to choose whatever he wants without the burden of responsibility for the consequences and so that's part of what the wayward is reaching for and it can very easily create this enabling system because of how hard it is 
to make stands, to exercise a rugged love, to define oneself, to, uh, to create boundaries. And, uh, but, but I think we really have to understand first that part of the wayward mind is this, this choices without consequences. And another feature of it is you know, autonomy without accountability. Um, so, so the wayward person has this fierce expectation that they should be able to enjoy the money, the, the rights and privileges of the relationships, the way they were, the, uh, the security of home without the need to stand accountable to those who live in the home or provide the home. Um, you know, so you have a husband um, who's, or let's say a wife who's having an affair, an adulterous relationship, but she, she doesn't want to get, you know, she doesn't want to separate from her husband. She wants the prerogatives to be able to come home, you know, to maintain the security and the safety of the marriage, but still basically live the way she wants. Or, or the teenager who's rejecting the mother's counsel or the father's counsel or the brother's counsel, and, but just expects to be able to come home and, you know, enjoy all of the, all of the fruits and benefits of, 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 of family. That's embedded in the wayward's mind. And unless we understand that, we're going to be bailing them out of the consequences all the time and thinking that that's a demonstration of love. So that, you know, we really, and that's where the idea of, of the rugged love comes in. Yeah, so you use that term that's in the title. You also, you write about it. What does that mean? In, well, first of all, what is rugged love and what does it mean in practice? Well, rugged love is first recognizing that there are powerful impulses within the relationships and the home of people homes of people that are going wayward to accommodate them to protect the peace at any cost to perpetuate the foolishness of the prodigal's behavior because we feel so desperate and and we don't know what to do and it's completely understandable and so the idea of rugged love which is unpacked in the book is the, the idea which is from scripture that love is rugged when number one it's it's strong enough to face evil number two it's tenacious enough to do good three courageous enough to enforce consequences four sturdy enough to be patient five resilient enough to forgive and six trusting enough to pray boldly and confidently before God for for the wayward person so you know um, you know just let, let's just take the first one strong enough to face evil I'm, I'm thinking about that passage in in Romans 12 where it says let let love be genuine and abhor what is evil so apparently part of genuine love involves abhorring evil well, love's not going to be able to abhor evil unless it's really a rugged love. And so, you know, it's got, we've got to see a side of love that has teeth, that has grit, that makes stands. That when you have a husband, for instance, who's, who is committing adultery or wife is committing adultery uh, or 
and justifying it or kids on drugs. Um, what genuine love does in that situation, part of what love does, is it abhors the evil of it. Um, not, the, not abhorring the person, you know, but the, but the evil acts, that, that love opposes it. Love finds wise ways to oppose, which means we, we act in wise biblical ways to actually accelerate the downfall of, of evil. So, so there is a sense where love can be abhorrence in action. So that, uh, and, and that requires a really rugged love. And it's based upon the gospel. The gospel begins with the reality of evil. And the gospel doesn't deny it. The gospel doesn't accommodate it. The gospel starts with evil and calls us evil and, and doesn't accommodate our wickedness our sin before God, but actually calls us to repentance for it. So that's that's part of what rugged love is based on, and, uh, and and but it's not just about you know opposing. It's about doing good. That's why the second point is tenacious enough to, to do good. It's it's back to Romans. You know, don't overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there is a sense where Paul's saying, you know, the one thing that can that that can stomp evil in a cage fight is good. You know, doing good, there's a power that, that the spirit moves through good, that, that God is in good, and that we fight evil with good. So it's not just like declaring and trying to set up a rugged love that is just coming against something and opposing something, but there's this whole other side where love is rugged when it's, when it's moving toward a wayward person with wise acts of kindness. And that's really important because relationships are attacked and undermined when you're dealing with a wayward person. The, the way they behave is a constant assault upon the relational attachment, the way one feels towards them. And there are just endless opportunities for bitterness and for resentment. And so doing good is a really important way of protecting those those relational attachments we have to meet evil with 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 good you also write that god he sometimes pursues us by releasing us he pursues us by releasing us what what does this even mean and how can we mirror this in our own relationships with wayward people yeah this may be the most challenging thing to hear in the book um, it's, it's the idea of what we're calling redemptive release. Um, so let's say you have a spouse who has fallen in love with somebody else and they're, uh, so a married person, but they're saying to their husband or to their wife, I'm, I'm leaving. I love another person. Um, the initial instincts there are to feel very angry, very wounded, very hurt. But there are powerful desires and powerful impulses for some to begin to negotiate your way back to peace in the home um, or to forgive without there being repentance um, or to forgive without any anything from them that would give you an idea that they're moving toward you or making any changes. Um, or, or even just to, to say, 
I'm just going to make this about humility, as if humility is just um, not saying anything and, and trying to create a, a peaceful environment in the home. Uh, so I, I think that one of the things that parents and loved ones don't often recognize is that the wayward person gains power through control and and you know because they're not emotionally invested in the relationship and that's a source of power for them and so when they encounter a love that has no teeth to it not a gospel love but a more of a cultural love there there is no incentive to change there's nothing that they're meeting that would persuade them that there are consequences in fact there are people that are accommodating you know their evil choices and making it far easier to pursue them and so what we're talking about is going back to scripture and recognizing this fascinating thing which which is that god sometimes pursues us by releasing us in other words that there apparently are some heart habits that emerge within human beings that can only be dealt with by releasing them into the consequences of their decisions and which is now maybe why the idea of rugged love is why we're using that word because you know typically when somebody is in a prodigal mindset now again we're talking about somebody not just routine sin or or you know the kind of things the the dark times that a marriage might go through or the weird and wild things that the teenage world leads a leads parents into but we're talking about people that are determined to pursue their way and are entrenched in patterns of sinfulness that is increasingly just throwing off commitments they've made in the past listening to anybody else besides their own counsel and uh and and determined to pursue sin um you know typically a prodigal like that or a wayward person like that is 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 pursuing two different paths one is the destructive relationships that they crave or two the key resources they need to indulge in the path that they want to walk down so you know the destructive relationship could be the other woman it could be the wrong friends it could be the drug culture or their drinking buddies or and then the key resources that they need to indulge are might be the emotional support within the home that they return to in order to boost them up and make them feel good so they can make another run out into the world or you know when they fall and they need money for the consequences of the decisions they've made. See, as long as a prodigal walks the first path without consequences to the second path, they have little motivation to change. As long as they can pursue destructive relationships without the key resources that they need to indulge being put at risk, there's no reason to change. There's no earthly reason. Um, so it seems like there is this pattern in scripture beginning all the way back in the garden of eden where god releases adam and eve to you know to sin he he could have opposed that but he he let them and then he let them go and you know they lived life east of eden and uh you know the prodigal son in luke 
the, the, the prodigal son comes to the father. Uh, the father does not oppose him in leaving. He gives him his inheritance. The father was a perceptive man, I'm sure. But there is a sense where he realizes that, that probably the best way for this young man to learn what he needs, it's not going to come within the home. And see, Stephen, I think that's the, that's the thing that can be so hard, particularly for Christian parents, because we, we just think that everything that the child needs has to come or should come from within the home. So the idea that God may have created a path outside the home in order to deliver this person back to him, that's really hard to come to terms with. So there are some times where, where uh, God shows his grace by releasing us to pursue what we want until we see what we really need, which is him. But that education only comes, the home actually obscures it. It creates obstacles for them to be able to see what they need to see. But sometimes when they are removed from that environment, uh, you know, a wife separates and says, no, no, that, you know, I, I want you to experience the consequences. And he or she does experience them. And the wife is no longer an obstacle to them. And the home is no longer the obstacle. Then they're encountering not only the consequences, but without those obstacles, they're able to think about God, think about the world, think about life in a, in a new and different way. And, uh, it takes a certain kind of love to do that. It, you know, it really takes a, a rugged love. The title of the book, Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls, published by Zondervan. Dave, thanks to you and Paul for writing this. It's going to be a tremendous resource for anyone who has found themselves in that situation. Again, Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls. Pick up your copy today.